Welcome to the Servants Feast Christian Ministry Podcast with Reverend Elizabeth Moreau. Elizabeth wrote the From Called to Sent Discipleship series that includes six books and two retreats for the intellectual and spiritual development of Christians in the local church. In Elizabeth's From Called to Sent series, she often tells us there is more. Christianity is so much more than just attending church and Sunday school. The riches of our faith are beyond what we can hope or imagine. Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elizabeth passionately teaches the treasures of Christian life to the end that we grow and mature and experience an abundant life in Christ. Her reflections on topics and issues of the day always point to Jesus with the purpose of advancing his kingdom. She desires for us all to understand the deep and rich heritage we inherit from the historic and universal church. In Romans, Paul tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With this thought, let us continue our journey of transformation and renewal as Elizabeth shares her teaching through this podcast. Well, welcome today. It is good to be here with you, and I want to thank you for listening to this. I've chosen a tough topic for today, and um, I'm talking about the relationship between Christian faith and um, the American nation, between our uh, American government, American laws. And um, I'm entering dangerous waters here, and um, it's providential, I think, today, in light of uh, international events, that are unfolding even as I as I'm recording this I think it is providential that this is what we're talking about so let's open with a word of prayer for this difficult topic hear my prayer Heavenly Father have mercy upon me a sinner and save me we ask that you open our hearts and minds to the knowledge and love of you in Jesus Christ grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you in your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, Christianity in America today is an important topic, or I wouldn't, if I didn't think that, I wouldn't be bringing it up, right? But I admit to you that I am a bit ambivalent about it, honestly. Um... It should come as no surprise to you that I have very strong political opinions. I've never had an opinion about which I was... Why have an opinion if you're not going to hold it strongly, right? However, the king, Christ's kingdom is not of this world. That's what he told Pilate, Pontius Pilate in uh, John 18. And instead, as the Gospel of John records, Jesus overcame the world. Uh, the world crucified Jesus, and he, um, uh, he rose, and he defeated death, Right? And Satan is the ruler of this world. I mean, the scriptures are pretty clear about that. I mean, I could, I could go on, but I mean, you get the general point, right? Um, that there is some sense in which I think Christians ought to have a limited investment in the rulers of this age, right? Um, and so I'm kind of ambivalent about how we approach this whole discussion on Christianity in America and about laws and rules and governments and stuff like that. In older Americans' minds, uh, there, there's a strong connection between uh, the United States and Christian faith. I mean, you have to think back to World War II. It's very clear that they understood themselves to be fighting a battle against evil, that, that they were fighting for what is good and right against evil. And it's hard to, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, if you look at, the, at what was accomplished in World War II by Hitler. 
What's interesting is most of the younger people in the United States say under 50. When did 50 get to be young? Anyway, younger than 50, right, have never thought about the role of church and state or the role of the church in the nation because that has long been being pushed to the side from early on in the 60s. You know, Madeline Murray O'Hare, Lord, what a, what a tragic person, right? But what I find most telling today when we're talking about this, what I think is most telling is that we never hear an argument from Christian faith anywhere in the politics or in education or in the media. You can't even say you're a Christian in some universities without being mocked and excluded. And, and here I'm talking about, when I say the media, I'm talking also about like um, conservative media, things like that. I mean, imagine somebody on Fox News quoting scripture, for, to, for, for example. And I know there are people who don't think uh, Fox News are, is uh, conservative enough. And I believe there are other people who believe that... Um, Fox News is, is, you know, evil incarnate because it's somewhat conservative, whatever. It doesn't matter. My point is that I cannot imagine a single host or a single commentator on um, Fox News ever appealing to Scripture to defend a position. I mean, think about it. When is the last time you heard anybody appeal to the faith? I mean, like, and say, well, I'm a Christian, therefore I think we should have this policy in place. And even more, why don't we as Christians expect that to be the case? If you're going to elect somebody, why don't we elect somebody who says, I believe that I am a Christian and we should have, um, you know, laws, these laws or whatever, based on this or based on that, you know, because this, uh, this pleases God. We never hear that, right? And the only exception to that I will say is I saw an article by Alan West. He's running for governor of the state of Texas right now, but um, he used Bible sources as the source of his belief. And the article was not in reference to the governorship at all. It was just, it was an article in reference to something else. Uh, but anyway, I, I remember being shocked. I couldn't believe that he had quoted scripture. Anyway, I will say this. If we don't expect to hear anybody ever speak about Christianity, it means that we, as Christians, have conceded that our nation is not a Christian nation, that we are a secular nation. And um, I think, by and large, we could argue that Christians have conceded that almost entirely. But uh, Christianity, just for the record, does not require the support of the government to survive. Is, uh, Christianity has survived under all sorts of different governments, um, and it positively flourishes under persecution, and you might keep that in mind if you're a serious Christian. But if we're not going to be a Christian nation, then what sort of nation are we going to be, right? I mean, human beings by nature are religious. So the question is, to what religion are we going to adhere? I don't know. And people say, oh, none, none at all. That is a terrifying thought right there. Because if you're religious and you, you don't have a religion, there is no telling what you're committed to, but you are committed, you are committed vehemently and strongly because we are religious by nature. I would, I would make the following proposal. It's not a question of whether or not Christianity can survive without the United States. I think, of course, we can. And obviously, it's proven across the world. It's proven in history before there ever was a United States. Right? The question is rather whether the United States can survive without Christianity. And the answer to that has to be no, it cannot. I want to start with the issue of the Constitution because, um, you know, there's a lot of complaining about the origins of the United States and everything. Lots of nations have constitutions. There's a, we, we've gone through this whole debacle up in Canada with the, the truckers and stuff like that and the Freedom Rally, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, they have a charter of freedoms and rights or something. Uh, other nations, uh, Russia has a constitution, Japan, Great Britain. And constitutions grant rights to the people. They have democracies that can vote, right? 
And so they can go in and vote for stuff. And they have rights that are written into those. In contrast, that is not true of America. America does not have rights written into um, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Right? And a friend sent me an opinion piece that was written by Derek Hunter. He's a man I've never heard of before or never read before. But he, he was, he's the one who pointed it out. That, and I, made, I was like, oh, how obvious, right? Um, the Declaration of Independence establishes unalienable rights that belong to human beings, the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to the pursuit of happiness, right? And we receive those rights from our Creator. The U.S. Constitution protects God-given rights, to us now the op-ed piece that i read didn't mention that it did not say that the source of our rights come from god it just it just said that we have unalienable rights right but the constitution itself does not grant us any rights now i want you to understand that is a huge difference in the in the shape of a nation when we talk about america being unique that is a huge difference right there rights are unalienable because they are given to us by god and that means that no person, no man or woman can take them away from any other human being. But rights that are given by a nation or by a constitution or rights that are written into laws or whatever are frequently referred to as human rights. You know, we call it about human rights, right? And um, these rights are granted by constitutional, charter, federation or whatever. It's created by people, right? And they can be, a good, they can be good people with good intentions. But any right that is given by people in one generation can be taken by people in the next generation. All they have to do is just change it up. Get a new government, get new rights, change it around. Okay. Now then, on a side note, I want to say to you that human rights is um, an idea, is the idea of the intrinsic rights that belong to a human because that person is fully human. All right. And it was first, I mean, just because a person is human, that's where you get the rights from is being human. And it was first articulated in the 17th century, by the philosopher and physician John Locke. He actually died in 1704. But anyway, that means that human rights are distinctly Western in origin. They are Western. They come from Europe. Human rights as they exist came specifically from Great Britain, as we understand them basically today, or that's where the origin is anyway. And it's really fashionable today for everybody to rail against the U.S. and say that we're racist and we're xenophobic and we're patriarchal and all these horrible things. And I absolutely would be prepared to grasp to, to I would be prepared to grant, excuse me, that there are a host of sins in our pasts. I gotta, I gotta say, I think there are a host of sins in our present too. The problem that I have with this is that there's no context. There is no knowledge. It's as if y'all in the bad, you, you, there was all this bad in the past, but today we're all superior. And we go, no, actually, I don't see any superiority here. Not any superiority of character, not any superiority of personhood, not any superiority of intellect or knowledge or performance or anything else. I'm not catching the superiority of this generation, right? The other day I was reading a book and it was, it was talking about what was wrong with men today. I love that. We're going to talk about what's wrong with men today. And the historical backdrop went all the way back to World War II. That is 75 years ago. Do you realize that? 75 years ago. And I'm thinking, how arrogant do you have to be to think only the last 75 years of history makes any difference? How are you going to talk about men and ignore the prior thousands of years in which men lived, right? It is obscenely ignorant to try to talk about anything social without taking into, into account the vast amount of 
evidence throughout history and across cultures. And here's some little chick writing about how awful men are and um, and saying, well, you know, if you look back to World War II, that's where it all went south. And I was going, oh, I don't think it all went south in World War II, just for the record. I think that things went south a long time ago, maybe long about the time of Garden of Eden, for example. Okay, so going back to the founding, right, to the Declaration of the Independence, but especially the Constitution, you know, it limits, and it, it, there are limits, and there are laws that are built into those, and um, they are the formation of the three branches of government and the checks and the balances that are part of the Constitution. It says you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. It exists because the founders understood, and how Christian is this? They understood human sin. Therefore, they limited the powers, of the the powers of the government to infringe upon the rights of the people. Do y'all remember when Obama was talking about the negative rights in the Constitution? That's what he's talking about. You know, you can refer the, the references to the government may not do this thing. The government may not do that thing. The one thing that you never hear anymore, you never hear it, is a reference to sin. Even in our churches today, sin is downplayed. And human beings are capable of great evil. I mean, um, if all you have to do is look at history and even past World War II. I guess, hey, if you look back even further, you can find even more sin. It's amazing what we can do to one another. We are capable of tremendous harm and tremendous evil. And the founders who wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution knew that. We don't know that in our current generation. We don't think of anything as sinful. But they knew that when they formed this nation, and therefore they, they put in place limited when I say limited, um, um, limited privileges and limited, you know, they either, you can only impinge so far upon uh, limited powers. That's where I'm looking for limited power. Excuse me. You know, in contemporary America, it's common for for people to portray the greatest evil as as you know being a white Christian or having Christian faith and Christian belief. But this is a projection of evils. Christians have many sins for which we're going to have to atone and for which we should apologize. But that's true in every generation of every Christian. That's true of me today. It's true of you today. All right? I'll pick that up again in a little bit. Right now, what I want us to say or see or understand is the most common charge that's leveled against the United States and trying to make the United States evil is that it was built on the, backs of, on the back of slavery. And, and let me be clear. I do not want to diminish the reality of slavery ever. It is a horrible practice. It is a, it was tragic for the people who were involved. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I'm from the South. I, I've seen racism. I am familiar with it. I know what it looks like. And we'll talk about that another time. But the sad fact is, for our understanding today, is that nearly every civilization in history was built by slaves. I want you to think about Egypt and the Hebrews, Right? If the oldest profession in the world is prostitution, then possibly the oldest institution in the world is slavery. That's where you can get free labor to build anything. Um, what is unique about the United States, about America, is that we fought a war to end slavery. That's not, that's not a claim to fame. That, that's something that people mock or degrade. But let us be clear that, that that is what is unique about the United States. Not that there was slavery in the beginning, but that we fought a war to end slavery. Because slavery was not ended elsewhere. I, I, I also want to make, make it clear that Great Britain led the way in, in abolition. That the abolition, abolitionists uh, were strong in Great Britain, Great Britain first, 
and they um, were almost entirely Christian in nature. Now, I don't, I don't know that we um, are even fully aware of that. We certainly never talk about what has been done against, I mean, what, what Christians have done well, what Christians have done to change the world, what Christians have done to impact it positively. And I think that it's time for us to consider that in reverence to slavery, in reverence to a lot of different things. You know, and that brings me to the topic of the um, 1619 Project, which has made a lot of noise recently, and it's rewriting um, American history around slavery. And besides being demonstrably false, all right, it appears that the author and its proponents are completely ignorant of the larger context of world history, right? I mean, I don't even get that. Um, Africans are not as important, were not as important in slave trade for their skin color as they were for their availability. And that's harsh and that sounds awful, but it's also true, okay? That's, that, those are the people that Europeans were able to purchase and trade. What an offensive thing to comment on or say, but that is exactly what it was. It's horrible, um, but it's true. And in the 16th and 19th century, for example same time period that black slaves were being transported over here, approximately 12 million white, white slaves um, were taken out of Europe and sold in North Africa, mostly to the Arabs. And it appears like, it appears, and I will say that I honestly think that predominantly in, in Arab North Africa or whatever, they're most inclined to be open to slavery, even to today, right? But um, they, they would conquer black people and sell them to Europeans, and they'd conquer Europeans and bring them back in. They had corsairs or, or pirates or whatever uh, to, to enslave people there. And the 1619 Project appears to be completely oblivious to that. They don't know anything about that. I'm like, okay. Historically, slavery is how wealth was made and power was attained, and it's awful, but it does not lessen. And, and, and I don't want to say that it, I don't want to say that it lessens the horror of slavery in America, but it does emphasize the importance of authentic Christian faith and discipleship in our society. You know, in contrast to the popular narrative regarding slavery, America long recognized that um, it that it thrived and it prospered as a result of the Protestant work ethic. Do y'all remember that the Protestant work ethic? If you don't work, you don't eat. It is an inconvenient ethic right now, and so it has fallen out of favor. And and now the whole story is that it's all about what we have done to um, uh, black Americans and systemic racism and all these different things. And I want to go, yeah, nothing is much more systemically racist than people who believe black people aren't capable of doing for themselves and they require the government and white people to do it for them. I think that is appallingly racist. I've met many, many fine individuals. The quality of a person, what was it Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King said? That we're going to, it's not the color of your skin, but the quality of your character. I've known so many fine people that have nothing to do with skin color. America grew because people believed they had to work hard. That was a huge part of it. And that was what was preached by Christian pastors. You don't work, you don't eat. So where does where does all of this leave us when we look at the United States today? Where you know, as I said, Christianity can survive without the United States of America, but the reverse is not true. The United States of America cannot survive without Christianity. The other day, I was listening to Victor Davis Hanson, who I really, really like, right? And uh, he was talking about uh, Tocqueville and his Democracy in America, which was written in 1835, right? And he predicted prolonged adolescence as, as America grew, and Tocqueville was correct. 
about that. But what Hansen did not say that Tocqueville also said was that America could not survive without Christianity. He saw back then that if we cease being Christian and we no longer had a Christian morality, that the nation would implode on itself. It was written in his book, Democracy in America. But Hansen did not say that because we don't talk about Christianity and the role Christianity had in the formation of our nation, the formation of our laws, and the formation of our policies, and the formation of our government. For America to remain a nation of freedom, it must be a Christian nation. Tocqueville saw that nearly 200 years ago. The idea of human freedom is a distinctly Western idea, and it arose from a distinctly Christian belief in the image of God. It is based on the belief in the value of every human being, which is why, for example, Jews had more freedom in the United States than they did anywhere else in the world. I think it's very it's worth pointing out that if you don't go to Israel and you don't come to the United States, then there is no place that is safe for Jews universally anywhere in the world. At least that was true in the 20th century, for, to be sure. Only in, in the formation of the new state and in the United States itself were Jews protected and, and, and harbored safely. The idea of human freedom come, it, it is, is entirely Christian. and the, the value of human beings is entirely Christian. Do you remember Iraq? We fought the war in Iraq when we fought for freedom so that they could vote, and they voted in Sharia law. Freedom didn't mean anything to them as it means to us in the United States. It, it, they got what they wanted. I'm not arguing with whether they're right or they're wrong. I'm saying that our idea of freedom is unique to the West. It is unique to the to Christian to America, and is born from Christian faith, Judeo-Christian faith. You know, made in the image of God. So I want to raise the question again: If we're not going to be a Christian nation, then what sort of nation shall we be? Human beings are by nature religious. So what to what religion are we going to adhere? You know. If we become a nation that's based on human rights, which is like all the other democratic nations around the world today, then who is deciding what those rights are going to be? Or more pointedly, who decides what is human? Do y'all recall that Iceland effectively ended all Down syndrome? It was not a, it was not a government policy, but I mean it was a medical policy or whatever, but they eradicated um, Down syndrome in Iceland. You know how they did that? They did that through abortion because Down syndrome persons are really not fully human. See, they're deciding on who's human. I don't think that God would see it quite that way. And so I want to turn to the, to the return to the idea of human sinfulness. That It's an idea that nobody likes. I mean, the founding fathers understood that human beings were sinful and you need to limit their power. You, need to, you, put, you put breaks and limits on what they cannot, can and cannot do. That is distinctly Christian. And I know people say, oh, the, early, the, the founding fathers weren't Christian. Well, that is just malarkey. By and large, Across the board, they, they were men of faith, almost exclusively, all right? And um, even, even Thomas Jefferson, there's indication that he did believe. Everybody, you can't pick out any one particular quote from any particular um, founding father because they lived more than one moment in time. And just as we all age and maturing and gain insight and wisdom, hopefully, some of us don't. But, I mean, you know, so, so also did some of them. And... There's a whole variety of different thoughts and ideas in there, but Christianity was very prominent in their lives, and it's wrong for us to pretend that it was not. I mean, it's, that's, just, that's just not honest, right? But we can look at the history of Christianity, and we can find a great many sins, right? That is indisputable. But what that reveals is not that, that, Christian, that, that Christianity is bad. It reveals that human beings are sinful. It's not a failure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's rather a, a, re, 
a revelation of the reality of sin, and it proves the need for a, of a Savior. We have a need for a Savior because we're so bad. <laughs> we're really bad. In the U.S. today, we have ceased to talk about Christianity because we don't want to talk about sin. It's not some collective decision, but it is a very human decision. It is infinitely better, better or infinitely easier to talk about all my problems than it is to confess my sin. Personally, I prefer not to look at my own. So we, we've approached, we've gone after, we're going to be, what is it, a therapeutic nation? Why is that? Um, uh, moral, was it? Moral therapeutic deism or something other like that. We're going to try to be moral. We're going to talk. We're going to have therapists, and, and we're going to be good people, and we're going to believe in God somewhere out there, somewhere. <laughs> it's just that is just so pathetic. What a what a what a useless religion. Most of our most of what's wrong with us needs to be confessed as sins. Let me make something clear. Where there are human beings, there will be moral failure. It, it, it doesn't matter where there are human beings, there will be moral failure. And where there is truth, we have a corrective for moral failure. But without truth, then there are no limits on human morality at all. There is no human. There is no failure of human morality if there's no truth. There are no boundaries. There's nothing to do with moral failure. It just continues. Where there are human beings, there's going to be moral failure. We do best when we confess that as sin and strive to rise above it and to defeat it in our lives. If we leave America to the intellectuals, to the politicians, to the media personalities or whatever, and let them decide what is human what is, and what rights we deserve, then America will fall. I don't have any doubt about that at all. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, the whole world. And every political debate in the United States today is an issue of who decides what is right and what is good without reference to the truth about human beings, about anything else. It's just... Whoever has the most power gets to decide. Any change in our nation's attitudes and laws will begin not with Congress. Have mercy. We do not want that. Heaven forbid. It's not going to begin with policies. Changes begin within the human heart. In lives committed to living the Christian faith and, and to living the Christian life, to being authentic disciples. In any sort of change that we want to encourage, any time we try to pursue Christ or follow him, it should be done with, with fear and with trembling in a posture of abject humility. Because the allure of winning is, and the desire to rule is great. It is ever-present among human beings. You know, we do not want to change one greedy, self-serving government for another. Rather, what we want to do is to learn to live out of the strength and out of the power of Christian love, out of Christ's self-sacrificing love. And where in the United States today do we just see just a ton of self-sacrificing? You know, it's hard to do to sacrifice the self. You know, as I record this, I can't help but, but be aware that um, we've we awakened this morning to discover that Russia had invaded the Ukraine. I don't think that was a surprise. I think we saw that coming. But um, Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin, in, issued a thinly veiled threat to the United States. This comes from Axios, the um, online site. It says, to anyone who would consider interfering from the outside, if you do, you will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. All relevant decisions have been taken. I hope you hear me. Realize that man's sitting on a bunch of nuclear weapons. A bunch. Thousands. But even as he says that, the Ukraine is calling for help. 
They're saying, you know, we don't have any nuclear weapons to deter Russia. That's a whole different conversation. I'm not into foreign policy. I can't begin to argue the debates uh, or the history of all of that. But I know that the, that the Ukraine doesn't have any means of fighting back. They have no significant self-defense against Russia. And with the invasion of Ukraine, it took China like a nanosecond to go, hey, I think we're going to up our threats to Taiwan. And that's today. That's just today, the last 24 hours. That's occurred in the last 12, 24 hours. That hadn't happened last night when I went to bed. G.K. Chesterton observed in his book, What's Wrong with the World? He said, the, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I want you to bear that in mind. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. For me, the only thing worth defending is Christianity. Truly, the only thing worth defending is Christianity. Christian belief, Christian life, Christian truth. In the founding of this nation, the tenets of Christian faith were embedded in the laws and in the government. And today, that idea is long forgotten. But we need to recover it, and we need to do so quickly. You know, the national and international affairs are going to boil down to one of two possibilities. We're going to have two different possibilities that are before us. We're either going to move toward some form of totalitarianism or going to resurrect the Christian faith. And you can say, oh, no, no, we're looking at other nations everywhere around. So watch and hide. Look at what Putin just did. Look what China's threatened to do. You know, there is, there is the rise of Islam. I guess that's a third option available to us. That's Sharia law is a form of totalitarianism. It's religious totalitarianism. Anyway, but we're going to move to some form of totalitarianism or we're going to resurrect the, the Christian faith. And I'm speaking for America today. Those are the stakes in the United States. Really, those have always been the stakes for every, for every nation, but especially for the United States because it was founded on Christianity. It was built on Christian belief. And I know I have a friend who calls it demonic, evangelical, whatever. I don't care. The, the point of the matter is that, it, that the founders understood the sinfulness of human beings, the need to limit the power of the people, and to grant rights based on what God had established for human beings, not on what governments give human beings, not on what, not on what one group of people give another group of people. I grant you the right to live, or I don't grant you the, grant you the, the right to live. That's not in the Constitution of the United States. It is in the Constitution of others. Do you realize that? Human rights are established in, in Russia. You know, free welfare. We got free, we have free health care. If we let you live, we're going to let you have free health care. Russia's not communist right now, but it's not far from it. Christianity is not a political system, and you need to be clear about that. Therefore, Christianity must be spread from one human being to the next human being. It must be lived fully so that people can see it. It becomes the law of the land only when it is the heartbeat of, of people, of human life. That Only then. Right? And so that starts with you and me. It starts with us. When, you know... Are we going to be witnesses to the power and to the life and to the goodness of Jesus Christ? Are we going to live according to that? Are we going to live according to the gospel, according to the Christian morality? To, are, we going, are we going to be brave enough to proclaim Christ crucified, died, and risen, even when people mock us and accuse us? You know? Can we do that? 
These are important questions for us because it is easier to leave Christianity out of the public debate, but it is not right to do so. I mean, we're going to be making our decisions from, from some basis. What basis is somebody going to use? Human rights? Well, what is human? You know, and what, what constitutes a right? You have a right to destroy, you know, for abortion on demand up to the last moment? I mean, you know, you have a right to, to euthanize your aging, your aging population so that you don't spend money on them and they don't inconvenience you? If we continue on our current course, if we do not defend Christian faith and Christian belief, then we are going to contribute to the, de- to the decline and to the fall of America. And I think that would be tragic indeed. But we will deserve whatever we get to replace it. I am Christian first and American second. And I can be a Christian under any, under any regime in place. They can take away my rights, but they can't take away my God. Nations rise and fall. You need to pray on these matters. We all do, because there are major events occurring in our world today, and they're going to have a huge impact on the entire world. So we need to pray to be fully Christian, to proclaim you know, Christ however and wherever we can. In every opportunity we have, we need to have courage. Pray to have courage. I don't know what's coming, but unless we hear the heavenly trumpets and the Son of Man coming on the clouds, whatever is coming next is not going to be good. It's kind of discouraging. But you have a God who saves. You have a God who is greater than any nation, who is Lord of the universe, who brought it all into being, who spoke and brought it forth. The only thing you have to fear is turning away from him. That's food for thought, y'all. Cause for prayer. So let us close with a word of prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you, that we may see your glory. Send your Spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until next time, you guys, y'all be praying, and y'all be blessed. You hear? You have just heard the latest podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as we continue to explore God's truth as it speaks to our world today with transforming love for all people.